Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. See, I am super excited to be teaching tonight. I know I'm always excited to be teaching, but tonight there's something in me that's just, I want to get at it, if I'm allowed to. I do, I just want to teach. Um, we have this kind of uh, um, audacious thought that God has a habit, and God's habit is to reveal himself. God really likes to do that. He really likes to reveal truth. He really likes to speak into our hearts. He really likes to, to transform situations. He likes to, to, to break in into, into hearts and lives and situations and change stuff. That's what his Holy Spirit does. His Holy Spirit is the change agent. And he's always wanting to transform. He's always wanting to introduce us to Jesus. He's always wanting to grow the Jesus life in us. So if you've come this evening just to relax and hang out, that's great. We hope you have a great time. But, but I think you've come to be disturbed by the living God. I think that when we open the scriptures, what we're supposed to expect is an encounter with God that's supposed to change our lives. So we're not supposed to leave here the same. We're supposed to leave different. So Holy Spirit, that's what I ask right now. That as we open the word, that you would speak truth we would be receptive and lives would be changed. Lives would be healed. Destinies would be created. And people would be free. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, then I'd love you to turn to the book of Romans. It's about two-thirds of the way through um, your Bible, maybe a little bit further. Go two-thirds of the way through, turn right, and you'll come to a book called Romans. It's long. It's very, very wordy, and what I'm going to try and do is teach on the second half of a series that we've entitled ID, or Identity, in a very, very simple way, a very, very complex passage of Scripture. We said last week that um, one of the most important things you can do in the whole of your life is to live out of your true ID, to not carry around in your wallet a false or a fake ID. A false ID, one that, one that isn't actually true of who you are, or a fake ID, it belongs to somebody else. Um, you've borrowed it from somewhere, and you're living by a whole bunch of expectations that are not the Lord's expectations for you. But God has a true ID for you, an identity that he, he's already worked out before the beginning of time for you. You are a son or a daughter of God. And if you begin to walk and live out of that identity, it provides an incredible security that enables you to live boldly into this world. And so the second half of this series, we're going to take a look not only about who we are, but about what we're for. Before we read a passage of scripture, I have a confession for you. Saturday night TV is not usually my domain, but there is a program. And the program is sad, and the program is derived, it's, it's, just, it's just not very cool, but the program is The Voice. How many of you have ever watched The Voice? Okay, look at you, you get a life. 
Oh, really, this is Saturday night. Okay, so, and the thing is, I can't even blame the kids because I used to sit there and watch it on the edge of the seat, you know, pretending I wasn't really watching, doing some work or something. Watching it because you need to know what your kids are watching. But last Sunday, like Saturday, yesterday, no kids in the house, no wife in the house. I'm still watching The Voice. And I love it. I love the whole concept of it. There are four chairs, uh, and, and they're turned uh, back to front, and, and the four judges, you, you know the scenario, they're not allowed to watch the guy or the girl singing behind them. They're not allowed to see what they look like or what they're wearing or whether the full package is, is everything they want. they just got to hear the purity of the voice. And then they get to choose and decide, and they turn around and say, ah, you know, and they make wrong decisions, and I love the whole thing. I think it's because I still think I should be performing. <laughs> I think that's the deal, really. But here's the thing. What voice are you listening to? What's, what's the clear clarion voice of your life that shapes your life? In a world where there is a cacophony of voices, voices from our culture, voices from tradition, voices from our parents, voices from our bosses, voices from our kids, in a world where all these voices are are, are clamoring for attention, to be the voice that you listen to and the voice that you live out of and the culture that you live out of, what voice are you listening to? Is it the voice of your parents who, who said things over you that they wish they'd never said over you, but you've taken them on board and you've lived out of them? Is it the voice of your kids who are constantly putting you down? Is it the voice of the teacher who told you you'll never amount to much? Is it the voice of your boss who seems to su- submit you to a way of behaving that is alien to you? Is it the voice of culture that says this is cool and that's cool and that's not cool and you're not cool? Or is it the voice of the creator of the universe? who you get to call dad, who says you're a son and a daughter, and I created you for purpose, and you are beautiful, and your purpose is incredible, and if you would live out of that, you would truly live. What voice are you listening to? Is your identity really just an amalgam of what you earn and what you own and what you wear and what dress size you are and what job you've got and where you live and how many kids you've got or or any other description? Or is it far, far, far bigger than all of that? And what are you for? I mean, why are you here? And why do you bother? Is there a plan? Has God got an ambition for you? Is it just to get through this life and then somehow, you know, you, you, you're born, you, you have relationships, you pay taxes, you die? I mean, is that, is that it? Or is there more? Is there true purpose to life? Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul says, he writes to, he's one of the most intelligent guys of his generation, and he writes this letter to uh, the church that meets in the capital city of the world in Rome, and it's probably his most complex and well-argued letter epistle that, that he writes, and he's basically trying to say, this is who God is, he's incredible, 
And this is who we are. We're messed up. And this is how the two of those things collide. And this is what it means to have a relationship with God. And this is how you can be free in a relationship with God. And he says that in a whole stack of chapters and a whole stack of verses in a much more intelligent way than I just communicated. But then he gets to Romans chapter 8. And he starts to talk about our base identity, our source identity. He says, you are Abba's children. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. You are children of the eternal daddy. You're kids of God. The Holy Spirit is constantly trying to get you to understand that. Because if you can understand that, then you can live out of true purpose. And what you look like, and and what you sound like, and what other people have said over you, and the experiences of your life, yes, they continue to frame you, but they don't form you. Because what forms you is that you're children of Abba. And then he goes on to say, and this is what you're for. And this is what you're for. So let's read together from Romans chapter 8. And let's try and understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says this, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Let's just stop there for a moment because that's an outrageous statement. I mean, those of us who've hung around in church, you know, long enough to be biblically dangerous, know that verse of scripture, and we nod our heads and go, yes, those who called, good for, you know, he's working good out for those who love Jesus, you know, oh. Actually, really? In, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, and we're thinking, really, because we're thinking Kiev, and we're thinking cancer. And we're thinking Syria, and we're thinking dysfunctional families, and we're thinking debt, and we're thinking depression, and we're thinking despair, we're thinking drugs, we're thinking whatever we're thinking, we're thinking a thousand things that don't sound like good stuff. And Paul would say, "Uh uh-huh, God is so good. He's such an incredible dad, and he's so massive, and he's so powerful, and he sees so much further than we see and that we understand. He's working good stuff out. Your true idea is always good. True purpose is always good. You might not see it, and you might not feel it, and you might not understand it, and at times it may not appear that way. But he has already moved heaven and earth to love you. Don't you think he's going to continue to love you? Continue to provide for you? Continue to work out your best? This is Abba, your dad. And then he goes on to say this. That wasn't even part of the sermon. <laughs> yeah. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Wow, guys. So many of us have settled for a definition of living that is way below what we're created for. So many of us have settled for a definition of purpose that is way below what God calls us to. Let me show you what Paul is doing. This is brilliant stuff. He's he's about to unpack the process of you stepping into and stepping out of our true identity. And in doing so, he's not just going to clarify who you are, he's going to clarify what you're for. Because your true identity will always lead you to your true purpose. We haven't got time now, but but there are again and again and again in the scriptures where God calls somebody and calls them by name and sometimes even renames them as a process of calling them into their purpose. He does it with Abraham, he does it with Moses, he does it with Peter. He's always saying, this is what you will be called and this is what you will do. If you get to understand who you are, you get a shot at living your true purpose in life. And that's what Paul is doing here. And he says, look, there is a process here. And all I want to do this evening, in a very, very simple and perhaps even simplistic way, is walk you through five words that Paul uses in verses 29 and 30. Words that we perhaps will understand, perhaps we won't understand. But as we look at those five words, I want us to get the process of moving from identity to purpose. Of understanding who you are and understanding what you're for. You up for that? Great. Six of you. And we're going to go really old school. We're going, to, we're going to go words on a little easel. Okay, you up for this? We're not doing this big screen thing. We're going here. And I've had someone beautifully, beautifully draw the words. The first word is this. You find it in verse 29. The first word is foreknown. And it really is an old school word. It's the kind of word that you find in the King James Version of the Scriptures. But it actually is very simple to understand. It just means that God already knew you. You're not a mystery to God. God foreknew you. And if you understand anything about ancient Hebrew, you'll understand that the concept of being known by God is incredibly intimate This is not some kind of superficial knowledge that he knows stuff about you. No, he knows you. He places his hand on you. He chooses you and he knows you. And the picture is of God taking his hand through the mist of time and placing it on your shoulder and saying, I know you, I see you. I know you, I know your personality. I know who you are. I know what makes you tick. I know what gets you out of bed in the morning. God foreknew you. And the scripture that most applies to this comes from from the Psalms. It's Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, the scriptures say this. You have searched me and you know me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You formed me in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The thoughts you have for me are incredible. They're like the sand on the seashore. Wow. In other words, you're not a mistake. Whatever anyone said over you or you thought about your life or you, you, you took on board for yourself or words you've even used for yourself, you're not a mistake. God planned you. He knows you. And you're not overlooked. Not by God. He thinks about you all the time. And he thinks you're flipping amazing. The thoughts he has for you are incredible. Do you know that, that, that concept of, of the sand on the seashore? Have you ever thought what that actually means? And if I, if I go to Portobello Beach uh, today, and, and I, I mean, I've got huge mitts. Look at the size of those. If I went to Portobello Beach today and I got hold of two handfuls of sand, we're probably talking about a couple of million grains of sand. Now, if you take the whole of Portobello Beach and the whole of St. Andrew's Beach and the whole of the east coast of Scotland and said, these are the Lord's thoughts for you. Billions and billions and billions and billions of them. Do you honestly think that his plan for your life amounts to you just hanging around, getting through this life with your get-out-of-hell-free card until he calls or comes, and getting a mediocre job and having a mediocre house and having, you know, just getting through this life and hanging around church as much as you possibly can? Really? Or do you think he's got more for you? Because he knows you. For none. The second word is a much more religious word, and it will get us into trouble probably. But the word is this. Predestined. And predestined is a word that if you've been around church and you've been around theological circles or you've, or you, or you, or you've been into amateur apologetics, you know this word. And this word basically means that God gets to choose. God gets to decide. And, and, and some of you are thinking, well, it basically means that God gets to decide that some of you go to heaven and some of you go to hell and some of you are sheep and some of you are goats and God's just arbitrary in the way in which he decides. And to be honest, I think, and I may be wrong, I think that's a piece of nonsense. I think it's biblically it's a piece of nonsense and it's certainly a piece of nonsense in this passage of Scripture because the predestination that God's involved in here is, is just basically pre-selecting the goal to which every single one of us who are foreknown are moving. He's already decided beforehand his ambition and his goal for your life. And if you think that sounds restrictive, it's not in any way, shape, or form because the goal for your life is conformity to the person of Jesus. In fact, the goal that he has for your life is that you look increasingly day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year more like Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. How cool is that? More of his love, more of his compassion, more of his mercy, more of his truth, more of his justice, more of his grace, more of his discernment. What would it look like if you look more like Jesus every day? That's what he's doing. He's conforming you to the person of his son. He's interested in your happiness. Absolutely. But he's more interested in your holiness. He's more interested in you looking like Jesus. And that's why sometimes he has to bring things into your life that will challenge you. 
And maybe at times will hurt you and cause you pain because he is conforming you to the person of Jesus Christ. And he knows better and he has to stretch your faith muscles. Predestined. Wow. Foreknown. Predestined. It would be a miracle if these all stay. Third word. And this is the first time that you and I actually get in on the scene. I mean, up to this point, God's doing a whole bunch of stuff for us and over us and choosing us. And now here comes the word called. The Greek word is the word kalio. And it actually means invited. God invites you in on the scene. God loves us so much that he invites us. The way in which he does it is he sends his son Jesus into the world. He puts on flesh. He moves into the neighborhood and he fleshes out God for us so that we would know what God looks like. Jesus sets his face towards a cross and he dies on a cross so that we might be forgiven and he rises again from the dead so that we might have life in all its fullness. And then he sends his Holy Spirit. His number one reason for sending the Holy Spirit is that we might know Jesus and that we might look like Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's calling us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. Greek preposition para. He's wooing us. He's drawing us. He's doing some of that right now. Every single one of us who ever came to know Jesus experienced the Holy Spirit in this way. It wasn't just coincidence that that person showed up. It wasn't just coincidence that scripture showed up. It wasn't just coincidence that difficulty came into your life. That was the activity of the Holy Spirit alongside us, wooing us. He's doing that right now for some of you. That's why you're here. You're being called by the Spirit of God. That's what's happening. Foreknown, predestined, called, stay. Oh, stay there. Justified. Now, justified is another kind of technical word, but um, how do I explain it to you? Let me, let me try word processing for you. Okay, justified. Microsoft Word. Align correctly. That's what it means. It means you have been justified. You have been aligned correctly with God. Once you were out of line, now you're in line with God. You're walking in lockstep with the creator and savior of the world because of what Jesus has done. You've been forgiven. You've been cleaned up. You've been cleansed. And you've been set free. There's an incredible divine exchange that happens at the cross of Jesus. All your guilt and all your shame and all your mess and all your rebellion gets exchanged for all his love and all his life and all his forgiveness. And what you deserve, which was death, suddenly becomes what you don't deserve, which is life. You have been justified. It's something that he has done for you. You are free and you're aligned with God. Justified. Final word. Glorified. I love this word. I love this word because it takes me off into heavenly realms. It takes me off into my imagination as to what I'm going to be doing when I get to heaven. I am going to fly. I'm serious. I'm going to fly. Whether it's allowed or not, I'm going to fly. I'm going to fly, I'm going to play jazz piano, and I'm going to be, hit a, be able to hit a golf ball straight all at the same time in heaven. 
It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be amazing in heaven. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. I'm amazing right now. I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to be amazing in heaven. Here's the thing. Do you know the interesting thing is the the tense in which Paul writes this is exactly the same for all five of these words. This is not a future reality. This is a past reality. This is the past tense. It's the aorist tense in the Greek. This is not, this is not something that's going to happen. One day I'm going to meet Jesus and everything's going to be cool. There'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more heartache and no more panic and no more abuse and no more injustice and no more violence. There'll be no, all that stuff is true. There is coming a day when kingdom will be all there is. There'll be no more battle between two kingdoms. That's true stuff. But what Paul is saying is that I am being and have been glorified right here, right now. That's what's going on. In the same way that kingdom is not yet and right now. Glory is not yet and it's right now. It's right here. I am bearing the image of God in a more impressive way right now than I was then. There's something of the glory of God and his rightness and his love and his mercy that is happening in me and in you but one day will be perfected. That's what's going on. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit is saying to the bride, I want the glory to come out. I want the glory that I've put in you to come out because the world out there is desperate to see the glory of God, to see the truth of God, and to see the justice of God, to see the righteousness of God, to see the justification of God, to see the power of God displayed. The world is desperate for that. It doesn't know it. It wouldn't articulate it. But the Holy Spirit says, let the glory out. Do you see this purpose? You're foreknown and you're predestined and you're called and you're justified and you're glorified. Wow. That's cool. That's very cool. This is what you're for. You you don't want to miss out on your purpose. You really don't want to miss out. I have this kind of really weird relationship with the bin men of Edinburgh. I don't know if any of you, I mean, some of you just don't worry about bins and stuff like that, and male students, but, but I have this kind of real issue with the bin men of Edinburgh. And the issue is this, that I know that there is a pattern to the way in which the bins get collected. It's fortnightly, it's Friday morning about 6.30 in my street when the band goes beep, 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 and they pick up all these green bins. And I know that on a Thursday night when I come home from whatever meeting or wherever I've been out, that I've got to put the bins out. Otherwise, you know, at 6.30, everything's going to go wrong. It's going to go pear-shaped, and it's not going to be good. But there's something in me that, you know, the bin men are not the boss of me. You know, something in me that wants to rebel against that. And I think to myself, you know, I can just stay in bed. And in the morning, I can just get up and get out. I'll be up early anyway. It'll be absolutely fine. And it happens every flipping week. And, and, and I get there, and I haven't put the bins out on Thursday night. And on Friday morning at 6.25, I hear, beep, 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 beep. Oh, no! And I have this decision to make. Do I stay in my nice warm bed under my double duvet? Oh, it's so lovely and it's so cozy. Or do I do the run of shame? (laughs) You know the run of shame. I don't possess slippers. I do have pajamas. It's okay. I don't possess... Nikki said, don't say that. 
people have really bad images. It's like, I've, I've, I've got my pajamas on, I've got no slippers on, and I, and I haven't got time for anything else. I just do the run. Now, if you've been to my back garden, it's just pebbles. So the run looks like this. <laughs> I mean, this is 6.30 in the morning. In the winter, it's okay, because even though it's cold underfoot, it's under the shadow of dark. No one can see this. But in the springtime and the summertime, it's highly embarrassing. <laughs> and I get to the green bin, and the green bin is on, is on like tarmac, and that's even more painful, because tarmac under your feet with a little bit of grit, oh, that hurts your bare feet. You're running around like this, and I'm saying, wait, stop, it's okay, I've got the bin. And these guys, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not there, sometimes they come back. Here's the thing. The Martin household is so big. We have so many people in the household. We have two bins. So I have to say, wait, and I've got another one. <laughs> and I'm back all the way from the other bin. Wow. I'm tired now. Here's the thing. It's one thing when it's um, two bags of rubbish or two bins worth of rubbish or your bins that you miss out on. It's altogether another thing completely when it's your purpose in life that you miss out on. Because you're so busy under the warm duvet of your fake identity and your false identity and your fake purpose and your false purpose that you never chase the dream. You never chase the thing. You never get rid of the rubbish in your life if you like to take the illustration far too far. (laughs) You just don't. And you miss out. And some of you think, oh, God, but that's, that's fantastic. But I know church. I've been damaged enough by church to know that now you're going to get me on the kind of purpose program. And I've got to follow this and I've got to do that and I've got to beat myself up about that and I can't do that anymore. And Lent is coming. I've got to give everything up. No, 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 no. Because if you read the passage of Scripture, this is all a process of love. This is all something that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life if you let him. This is all the process of love. He loves you so much, the Father, that he sent his Son. He loves you so much that he didn't hold it back. He loves you so much his love is obsessively jealous. It's incredibly protective. Who can hold any charge against you? Because I love you, says the Lord. It's incredibly stubborn. It's going to give up on you never. And it's wonderfully powerful. There's nothing that can victory over you. It's not that you've got to get on the program. It's that you've got to let the Holy Spirit have you. So how do we apply this stuff? I mean, how, in the, how in the world do we apply foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified? Well, here it is. The only thing I can say is that the Lord calling you and me to boldness. The scriptures say this, with Jesus on your side like this, who can be against you? It's a question. Really? With Jesus on your side like this, with this kind of father on your side, with this kind of God on your side, who's done these kind of things, who can be against you? And you say, well, the inland revenue. And my ex-wife and my ex-boyfriend or girlfriend who's causing me trouble, or or the university who are failing me, or or, or my next-door neighbors, or or whatever it is that's thinking, or my kids who are abusive, or or my parents who were difficult, or my boss. No, you miss it. Understand, you are holding dad's hand, and dad happens to be the creator and sustainer of everything. And he's your daddy. Nothing can be against you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? 
He who is in you, says the scripture, is greater than he who is in the world. You will do the things, Jesus says, that I did, John 14, 12, and you will do even greater things. Now, either he's having a laugh or he's telling the truth. The things I did, you're going to do. And you're going to do even greater things. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, says the scriptures, lives in you. What are you waiting for? Why are you hanging around under the duvet of your fake ID and not living in your true purpose? It's time for boldness, guys. And it's time for security. Listen, verse 32. He who did not, read this carefully. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Interpreting that in, 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 in today's language, my friends, if you can trust him for your eternal salvation, I mean, just think of the logic of this. If you can trust him for your eternal salvation, why can't you trust him for your finances, for your family, for your relationships, for your future, and for, your relation, for, uh, and for, for whoever you're going to end up with in life? And why are you anxious about these things? Because you've already trusted him for, 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 for whether you get to be with him in all eternity. You're already standing your weight on all that stuff. So why can't you trust him for the rest of the stuff? You know, what I see all the time is, is, is I see a whole bunch of believers in Jesus Christ who are theoretically secure and experientially anxious all the time. Well, what if this and what if that and if I say this what are they going to think about me and, and if I make that decision then suddenly I'm going to be insecure and that's not going to happen no, 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 no. and what happens is competition and jealousy and fear guys come on there is a new security and a fresh purpose and it's deeper and it's a different voice what, what's, what's the application of this stuff the application is forgiveness Who is going to bring any charge against those who are these things? There is no condemnation. You are forgiven, guys. Not because of anything you ever did, but because of what he has done. And it is done. It is finished. You have been justified. You don't need to carry around all your guilt and all your shame anymore and stop poking the ulcer of it with your tongue. Because you don't need to do it because it's dealt with. And if it's dealt with for you, how dare you hold over anybody else whatever they've done to you? Unforgiveness. It'll kill them and it will kill you as well. Got to learn to forgive. There is a new identity and there is a new purpose because Jesus loves us. And Father just says, victory, 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 victory. We are more than conquerors, more than conquerors. This is not just triumphalist stuff. This is the Bible. We are more than conquerors. The original language is hyper-conqueror. That's kind of the biggest conqueror you've ever seen or heard of. That's what it means. Persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or financial crisis or relational meltdown or bankruptcy or poverty or sickness or demonic attack or difficult neighbors who live under you and have loads of parties or job redundancy or the limitations of the voices that said you just don't get ahead of yourself or don't expect too much of yourself or you'll never amount to a whole lot or you're past it now or you've made your bed and you have to lie in it now or the limitations of all those voices that not only have been spoken over you but you've spoken over yourself. No. 
We are more than conquerors because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done and because of what Jesus is doing and because of what he calls us and because of the purpose that he's given to us. Guys, settling for less than the dream that God has placed deep inside your heart is not really acceptable for sons and daughters of the living God. Don't do it. It's time to have victory. You know, I got this feeling that we've huddled around in churches for too long, fearing everything out there and worrying if somehow we're going to get beaten up and destroyed. When we have so much power and so much potential and so much opportunity, it's time to take some ground. It's time to run with some dreams. It's time to push back some darkness with some light. It's time to love some streets. It's time to articulate the gospel to some people. It's time to get in the prisons and ask that people will be freed. It's time to pray for healing and expect that the same God who we read about in the scriptures hasn't gone and changed and his power is no different today than it was then. So why wouldn't he do these things? Because we're the children of God. And we have all the purposes of God. It seems to me that we have a choice. And the choice is really, really simple to me. It's down to what ID you're going to carry in your back wallet. It's down to whether you're going to listen to the voices of this world that say you're just this, or you're just this, or you'll look like this, or you'll behave like this, or you should buy this, or you should borrow this, or you should do the other thing. Or whether you're going to listen to the Father through the Holy Spirit who calls you by name and calls you for purpose. And whether you're going to hang around under the duvet of your life, missing out on your purpose, or whether you're going to run in an undignified manner to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. It's time to get free. It's time to get free.